This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable. Bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Watch Killer Joe, a dark comedy now playing, starring Matthew McConaughey and Emil Hirsch. Also playing is John Dies at the End, starring Paul Giamatti, and available on demand before it hits theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with movies on demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And on this episode of Film Spotting SVU, a very special episode. Absolutely. We're breaking from our usual format and our usual uh, world of streaming films to take a look back at the year in movies. We've got a list of categories, some typical, but most not so much, that we're going to use to highlight the best of 2012 on the big screen, an honor that we are calling... The Svoovies. Yes, we're wearing our tuxedos. I've never seen you in a tuxedo before, Allison, but you look fantastic. Thank you, thank you. I, you don't need to get dressed up because it's a podcast and people can't see you, but I appreciate yeah, I that. It was, you, it was a nice thing to do. You went the extra mile. I appreciated that. I'm wearing my tuxedo t-shirt, and we are ready to give out the Svoovies. And um, this is a little like something we used to do on our old podcast. We used to give out these awards at the end of the year. And whenever possible, we're going to bring in the streaming world, the VOD world, because that's what we like to do here. We'll be telling you where you can see these movies, whether that's in theaters, whether that's at home on streaming or VOD sites. But first up is opening break, as always, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable in which we spotlight one title that's new on VOD and give you a rundown of some other notable films new on demand. Uh, Allison, this week we're just going to kind of run down a whole bunch of of new titles. We've got a a bunch we want to get through, so let's just plow right through them. Okay. Um, On demand on January 1st is All Superheroes Must Die, which is an independent superhero action film starring Jason Trost, James Remar, and Lucas Till. And it premiered at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival and is about four superheroes who wake up in an abandoned town, stripped of their powers at the mercy of their arch nemesis. Interesting. uh, Have to do these uh, challenges to save this town full of innocence. I've heard it described as kick-ass meets saw. So that is All Superheroes Must Die. It's available on January 1st. Also available on January 1st, Little Birds. Uh, This is a film that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2011. Stars Juno Temple, whose career is really taking off. She's everywhere these days. And Kay Panabaker as two girls who are growing up in the Salton Sea. And they leave to follow two skateboarders to Los Angeles. And it's apparently loosely based on the life of writer-director Elgin James. Uh, So that is Little Birds. And one last film that will be new on VOD on January 1st, The Other Dream Team, which is a documentary film directed by Marius Markovicius. And it's the inspirational story of the 1992 Lithuanian national basketball team. 
uh, at the uh, Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And it's got a lot of interviews with different basketball players. I've heard some great things about this doc, actually. I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. Uh-huh. And one more film we okay. have for you. It is new on VOD on January 3rd. And that is The Sorcerer and the White Snake, which is a Chinese fantasy film starring Jet Li. Ooh. It's about a sorcerer. And his white snake? Mm, fights. And the band White Snake? Unfortunately, no. Uh, it's about a sorcerer who's fighting for the soul of a young doctor who has fallen in love with a woman who is actually a thousand-year-old snake demon. You Do they play have White to... Snake songs in the movie? No, but I think it's a cautionary tale about dating that we can all understand. <laughs> so that is The Sorcerer and the White Snake, and that is new on VOD on January 3rd. So, Allison, the Spoovies. Now, on our old podcast uh, years ago, we used to enjoy doing this, you know, because everyone – at this time of year, everyone's looking back at the year in film, and they're giving out their best actor, their best actress. They're saying it like this for some reason. They suddenly <laughs> become very hoity-toity. It just seemed like, well, we could do that too, but let's do something different. So we started giving out these awards that are – if they're not strange, they're a little more at least eclectic. And we just kind of have a lot of fun with it. And it, it seemed to catch on. People seem to enjoy it. And we enjoyed doing it. And it is kind of more fun than just giving out your best actress and best actor awards because we do that anyway everywhere else. So let's have a little fun with it. So we're going to get to the Spoovies, as we're calling them now, in a, in a minute. But first, let's go through those top ten lists because that's what people want to know. They want to know your favorite films of the year, Allison. So what we're going to do first, we're each going to give our top ten films of the year – Maybe we'll talk about the year in film in general really quickly, and then we will get into uh, the movie. So, Allison, why don't you begin with your top ten list? What was your top ten films of 2012? Well, number ten is actually a film that we have up for a listener's choice pick. It is Dark Horse, Todd Salon's film. Uh, Number nine is The Cabin in the Woods, Mm -hmm. which I think we'll be mentioning a bit later. Number eight is Beasts of the Southern Wild, which I think we will also be touching on later, perhaps. Maybe. Maybe maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, Number seven, Zero Dark Thirty, Catherine Bigelow's uh, Great Procedural. Number six, a film I know you like a lot, Holy Motors. Mm -hmm. Um, Number five, Rust and Bone. Number four, Lincoln, a film that I have to say really surprised me. Number three, The Master. Terrific piece of filmmaking. Number two, The Loneliest Planet. And my number one film is This Is Not a Film uh, by Jafar Panahi. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. I guess the only one I haven't seen at all that I missed was Rust and Bone. I I really enjoyed it. And I I didn't necessarily expect to enjoy it that much, Mm -hmm. considering what I'd heard about it. I think it's a a really well-made film. Do you want to just very briefly tell uh, listeners who maybe don't know what it's about what it's about? Okay. It sounds terrible if I tell you what it's about. Okay. I will tell you what it's about. Try to make it sound as unterrible as you can. I I can't do In 30 seconds. All right. It's about how a former uh, killer whale trainer gets her legs... amputated in a tragic killer whale accident at the marine park and then she falls in love with an underground bare knuckle boxer but it's really good it's so good <laughs> you sold me thank you you sold me you uh, absolutely sold me all right well matt do you no, I, I, I have heard some great things yeah. about it you're right describing it that way maybe not the best sales pitch but it sounds really interesting that's the only one i have your list that i haven't seen there was one of your films that uh, i don't know that i liked as much uh-huh. everything else on there i'd say is very solid picks Here's my top 10 list. Okay. Number 10, a little independent film entitled Girl Walk All Day, which I really love. Maybe we should talk about that separately after I run through my whole list. Number 9, Looper, Ryan Johnson's fabulous sci-fi film. Number 8, Argo, Ben Affleck's uh, superb uh, hostage thriller. Number 7, Compliance, very divisive movie about a real-life incident at a fast food restaurant. 
Number six, Clown. I film, I think we've mentioned a few times maybe on the podcast, a really hilarious comedy from uh, Denmark. Number five, This Is Not a Film, a fabulous film, your favorite film of the year, my number five film. Number four, The Cabin in the Woods. We agree on that one as well. I liked it even more than you did. Number three, Zero Dark Thirty, also on my list. Number two, The Master, also on your list as well. And we also agree on my number one film, Holy Motors, my favorite year. What was your... It was number, uh, number six. Number, number six. six. So we each kind of swapped in the same areas. My number one was your number six. Your number one was my number five. So we, we've got some. We've got a lot of overlap there, especially in the top of our lists. It looks like. Yeah. Let me just briefly talk about this girl walk all day film, which I hadn't even heard about until a few weeks ago when one of our colleagues, uh, David Ehrlich from Movies.com and uh, the Operation Kino podcast, which is a really uh, a fine podcast, he watched it. He was raving about it on Twitter, uh, which is, you know, that's how it works these days. People rave about a movie on Twitter and you say, I've never heard of it. I should watch it. And in the case of Girl Walk All Day, that movie you can watch for free online. You don't have to belong to Netflix or anything. It's available on the film's website, girlwalkallday.com. You can watch the entire film in chapters. It is a dance film. It is about this character named The Girl, this fabulous performance from this dancer named uh, Anne Marzen, who she sort of like bursts out of a ballet class and just dances out into New York City and dances through the whole city starting. She's in Staten Island. She takes the ferry. She's dancing on the ferry. She dances through the terminal, dances out into lower Manhattan, all the way up, all the way to Yankee Stadium, essentially. And you're watching her dance. And interact with people in the city. And clearly this was not a film with permits. She's randomly bumping into people who give her dirty looks. Some people join in. And there's this wonderful sort of depiction of New York City. Just the kind of joy of dance and movement. The entire movie is – the soundtrack is the Girl Talk album all day. So the entire album is the entire movie, and each sort of track is a song, and that's how they divide up the chapters in the movie. And it is fabulous. It is just – it sounds kind of like a stunt, like a viral video, like, you know, wacky woman dances on the subway. But there's something more about it. I mean, maybe it's the commitment, that the fact that it's 70 minutes and that the dancers are fantastic. These are professional dancers. And there's a few other minor character dancers that join in. What I kind of also love about it is the fact that this was a movie that was funded through Kickstarter, the website where you can crowdsource and people can donate to your film. And the movie kind of works as a lovely metaphor for making a film on Kickstarter because it starts off with just this one girl. And she's kind of dancing in public, and people are giving her dirty looks. And by the end of the film, she's got like kind of people have started to join in. It's almost like it's spread kind of like a viral video or kind of the way that you put your stuff out there in public now. And you say, this is what I want to make, and I need this money. I need this support. Will you give it to me? And sometimes when you have a good idea, people join in. And it's sort of a beautiful kind of metaphor for how the movie or any movie like this is made. So the film is called Girl Walk All Day. And again, you can watch it right now for free at home. It's really fabulous. Allison, have you seen it yet? I've only seen some of it. It's a lot of fun what I've seen, and I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing. Okay, fair enough. You've Have you watched it yet? No. Okay, go watch it right now. No, I'm not going to do that yet. All right, fine. We have to do a podcast. Okay, man. fine. Let's, let's keep talking then. <laughs> uh, the Year in Film, 2012. You know, I, my favorite movie was Holy Motors, which I, I, I really feel... Is, it's just a perfect – not only is it a, just a great, wonderful film, it's a really perfect film for this year when we've had a lot of pontificating about the end of film, the end of film culture. 
do you feel like it's the end of film culture, Allison? I mean, I guess from a certain perspective, the fact that there are so few films distributed on actual film, on actual celluloid, that is something that is ending. Are you concerned about the future of cinema? Did this year and the movies you watched give you hope or did they make you – are you concerned? Well, I think the idea that it's the end of film, if you're going to say that, you have to come up against the truth that like – I think the New York Times, which re- they review every movie that opens in New York, every movie that gets a week-long run in New a York. A week-long theatrical run, Gets yeah. a review, which is part of the reason that people like pay to have their movie open in New York sometimes is to get that review. Right. I, I think they released the fact that they reviewed like 800 films this year or something like that so if film is dead i don't know what's going on there (laughs) you know like no one has told nobody has told the people making the films right film is dead i think also this was just a very good year in film you know looking over my list of just like possible like potential films to put on my top 10 i had a huge list i think and the fact that you know your your favorite film of the year is about film Mm-hmm. So is mine. I yeah. think, you know, this is not a film is about being silenced about like both the power of film and like, you know, its ability, the way it can't really be substituted for and uh, about what it actually means to have that be silenced. Right. And I think it, you know, is incredibly powerful in that. And I think it might be like a little easy to dismiss on an abstract level, like you can't make films anymore. Like, uh, but that comes to mean a lot in the context of this. Yeah, that's true. I think both of our films, although yours is certainly, and it's, it's a beautiful film, yours is, is more, a little more personal about it. You really could say that both films are about, you know, sort of the act of almost like being silenced or refusing to go quietly into the night, whether it is your personal expression or it is the idea of making movies in general. That's sort of what they're both about. Uh, There is sort of that feeling of maybe defiance in the face of the end of the world in a few of our other movies, like The Cabin in the Woods, actually, now that I think about it. Which is also about film. It is also a very large metaphor for the act of filmmaking. That's right. Although we don't want to say too much spoilery (laughs) because I know it's a very secretive movie. Yeah, but it's I mean, it's about horror film, even. It is is kind of what we enjoy about horror film. And this is not a spoiler to say, I think at this point especially, that there are two characters uh, played by Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins who are sort of these functionaries, these sort of middle management guys in this mysterious corporation who are involved in the event that we are witnessing at this cabin in the woods. How, I won't say, but they are somehow involved. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they were two primary filmmakers in this case, director, co-writer Drew Goddard and co-writer Joss Whedon. And I think they are essentially standing in for them and for the idea of the people who make horror films and what they are doing when they make them and who are they serving, who essentially are their dark masters. And in the larger metaphor, that's us. It's uh, the audience. It's 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 about our bloodlust, our terrible demands, our terrible evil demands to witness brutality. And that was what I loved about that movie was how it functions so beautifully, both as a horror movie and as a very funny, very smart deconstruction of a horror movie. But yeah, there's another film with kind of a end of the world flavor to it. On the other hand, a movie like Girl Walk is so exuberant and joyous, and sort of says if this is the if the movies are dying, if this is the end, if this is the future of cinema. The future, the future still looks pretty exciting because well, if also, this is the ex- this is what's going to happen if everyone's going to make their movies on Kickstarter, uh, an idea that I was admittedly kind of dubious about in the past. I'm like, if that's what they're going to be, fantastic. This movie is magnificent. 
Yeah, and also, I mean, that's a, a really old-fashioned type of film, a dance film. It's a, film a dance film, dance, absolutely. You know? And yet it Jerome seems incredibly, Robbins, you know? yeah. Yeah, incredibly modern in that sense, you yeah. know, that this is a movie made without permits, shot on the street. With two Girl Talk album, you know, who is an artist who's already like a remix artist who yeah, is like a, that's a great point. breaking boundaries. That's a great point. Uh, I, one of the, I mean, like another trend that I thought was interesting before we get to like, I think what is one of the major trends of the year. Um, I thought this was an interesting year for found footage films. You know, like we've talked about King Kelly before. And I think Chronicle, which is a film I finally got around to seeing that I liked a lot. Like it really surprised me how much mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah, like both very good movie. do some very interesting things with, both of those films with just like self-documentation in mm-hmm. a way that I think opens up the found footage uh, format much more than the traditional um, I'm going to make a documentary about this, you know, that it makes a lot of sense for these characters yes. to film themselves. And it also, they're also very aware of it, that they are documenting themselves. Mm-hmm. They are not, I wanted to make a movie and then, oh, look what happened. Uh, that, that the way that, the films use that device is very contemporary. And I think in a way that you couldn't even have even done a few years ago. No, absolutely. That's a great point. Those are the, I think actually it's funny in my list of sort of like all the best movies of, or my favorite movies of the year, which goes well past my favorite 10 into like my favorite, like 50. They're right next to each other on that list down in like the mid twenties or in the thirties. I don't have it all numbered, but those were the two best found footage movies of the year, I think. And I, I think you hit exactly why. The one theme I would point out, and we don't want to go on too long because we want to get to the Sveavies. <laughs> they sound better when they're Swedish, I think. I, one thing I've sort of noticed in recent weeks was uh, how many movies this year were about the fear of, of uh, travel. There's a lot of movies this year about uh, being paranoid about traveling. From a movie like Argo, where so much of the drama is about like, going through security checkpoints – which is a fear that's very relatable for anyone who has to go through the hassle of of traveling these days to um, a movie like The Impossible, which hasn't come out yet, but is about this couple that goes on a vacation to Thailand and what happens, the worst tsunami in, in human history, and they're separated and it's it's this awful thing, and it's all because they went on – don't go on vacation because a tsunami may strike. And there's so many more examples. I, I I've been trying to figure out why this might be, why there are so many movies like that. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe movies are worried that you're taking vacations instead of paying for the movies and they want to make you nervous and make you stay at home and stay watching your movies at home. Perhaps that's why. I don't really know. But that's a theme I've noticed pop up in quite a few films this year. Mm, It's an interesting one. Uh, The theme that I was going to say was, I thought, like a very dominant one towards this end of the year is just the idea of the procedural of uh, any everything from like Zero Dark Thirty and Argo to Lincoln, to films that are very much about process, you know, that don't cut away to the drama. They are about the work. Lincoln, you know, was a film that I liked a lot because of that, because it was about the kind of nuts and bolts of like getting votes on, you know, and how that involves sometimes giving someone a cushy job because they've already been voted out or, uh, you know, convincing someone to compromise on their very stern ideals. I thought that was a kind, a really terrific depiction of politics uh, of american politics specifically um and zero dark 30 you know was just being highly debated now but is a film that depicts the extremely 
messy and sometimes very unpleasant process of the tracking down mm -hmm. of Osama bin Laden mm -hmm. and Argo as well as a film that is about the very details of like what did it entail to get these people out of the situation so the the way that all of these films have been like we are going to take you through this whole process has been something that I've actually really enjoyed yeah well I mean listen to all these great movies we've mentioned there's so many more we haven't mentioned you know, like I said, I have a list of my favorite movies of the year. It just goes on and on and on to movies, you know, like that we've mentioned on the show that we haven't mentioned on the show. Little films that didn't get big releases. You know, the fact that we do a show about streaming and VOD and there's so many movies that you can see now that would have been so much harder to see in years past because, you know, you'd hope they play your little art house theater in your town for a week and then they'd be gone until maybe they came out on DVD. I mean, that's all changed. And there's so many movies that we've seen that would have been hard to see otherwise so it you know on the one hand while you there are things that you worry about you know and digital photography and 48 frames a second and all these sorts of things when you see just the number of movies that are so good it, it's it's hard to be uh, a cynic it's it's exciting it's, a, it's it's an exciting time to be doing something like this and by doing something like this i mean giving out the sfuvies are you ready allison i am ready it's time let's begin all right, the first category on the Svoovies, I feel like we should have like music playing us on and, or something like that, is the We Didn't Get It Award. This is the award that goes to a film that was wildly praised by our colleagues, but for whatever reason, we didn't get it. Allison, what is your winner All right, the first Svoovie? Uh, the first Svoovie for me. The more you say it, the more fun it gets, it I is, think. Definitely. It uh, goes to... Silver Linings Playbook, mm. a favorite of many critics. Yes. So it, I don't know how, I, it was like a, an awards front runner for a while. It may have like fallen a little bit, bit back in the pack. Still very acclaimed. I don't want to say that I do not understand the appeal of this film at all, but I did walk out of it not understanding how it was being held up as one of the best films of the year. Uh, directed by David O. Russell, starring Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro. It's kind of a wacky romance between two damaged characters and uh, a kind of goofy family drama on the side. I think there are a lot of elements that are charming, but I, over the whole, I, I really didn't think it was anything that was a standout for me. So that's why it is getting my We Didn't Get It Award. Matt, what is your pick for this category? My pick, and we actually, I had a few options, and, and we decided to, I just decided to go on which movie had the higher Rotten Tomatoes rating, because that seemed to be the, uh, the good indicator. So I was debating between Beasts of the Southern Wild, a film which I guess I do kind of get it. I get why it's popular. It just, it just doesn't didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work for me. I mean, yeah. it's on your top 10 it list. It is on my top 10 list. So you, it's not that you didn't, maybe this is the I didn't get it in that <laughs> case, not that we didn't get it. But that movie had like an 85%, and this movie had a 93%, even higher. So I definitely didn't get it in this case. And that is The Sessions. This is a film premiered under a different title. I believe that was titled The Surrogate at that point. It premiered at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival. And it's about John Hawks as this man who. He lives in an iron lung. He has this debilitating illness where he can't, you know, he's not necessarily paralyzed, but he just, he can't really, move. he's got polio. He can't move his muscles. And so he spends most of his time, 20 hours a day inside this iron lung. And he just is beginning to worry that because of his condition, he'll never be able to have sex. He's a Catholic man and he believes in God and he, he, he tries to follow the rules but he's curious, as any man would be, and he's beginning to worry if he doesn't do something, if he doesn't take an active role, 
You know, he's never going to find he's never going to find uh, true love and he's never going to get to experience sex. Is this your place? No, it's a friend's. The only bedroom furniture I have at my place is an iron lung. I've been wondering maybe about possibly buying a futon, you know, in case the need arose. Might be worth thinking about. I got the space, I think. It can be expensive, though, a nice futon. I mean, how much do you think a good one would cost? Mike, take a deep breath. And let go? This movie was – I remember when I was sitting at my computer watching Sundance from afar this year, Allison, and some of our colleagues were exploding with gushy excitement from Sundance. This movie is going to win all the awards. John Hawks for Best Actor, Helen Hunt Best Actress. It's going to be a front runner for all the Oscars, and perhaps it still will be to some degree. It certainly got a lot of great reviews. I – when I saw the movie, though, I just it 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 did not feel to me like a great film, and I actually had a big problem with sort of the the way that the the nudity and the and the and the depiction of these characters uh, was in the film because there's a lot of sex scenes in the film, obviously because what happens is uh, John Hawks hires the surrogate, this sex surrogate, which is sort of like a sex therapist. This is a profession. You can get into it if you're if you're interested. Helen Hunt plays the sex therapist, and they have these sessions where they meet and kind of awkwardly have sex. And there's a lot of nudity on the part of Helen Hunt. She's naked all the time, which is fabulous. I have no problem with that. But like John Hawks's character is constantly like covered. You know, they like go out of their way to find ways to keep him clothed in some ways, covered by blankets or whatever. And it's not like I'm dying to see John Hawks naked, but the whole movie is supposedly about him finding self-worth and finding the beauty of his own body, which is crippled. You know, it's like this idea that even though he has this disability, you know, he's still a beautiful human being, you know, that that is what he's really discovering along with sort of the beauty of sexuality. But when you're hiding his body every chance you get and you're kind of like trying to like keep it hidden, it feels like kind of like it's up against the theme of the movie and it feels a little disingenuous to me. I understand that because of the rules of the MPAA, they couldn't really show things. They'd get an NC-17 rating or whatever. So I can understand it practically, but thematically I had a real problem with that when I was watching it. I didn't really get it. I didn't get the love for the sessions, which we should say is now in theaters. If you do want to see it, it is still playing in in limited release. As is Silver Linings Playbook. Neither of them is yet available for streaming. Right. All right. What is the next category on the Sfoovies? All right. As an answer to the We Didn't Get It Award. Yes. We have the most unfairly maligned film. This is the film that... They Didn't Get It Award. They Didn't Get It Award. Yes. This is the film where we felt like it just got an unfair, uh, you know... I don't know, critical assessment, let's say. The movie was discarded. Yes. Perhaps not only by critics, but by audiences as well. Sometimes that is the case. And this is a film we wish to hold up as a beacon of light and truth in the world. Ooh, that's asking a lot for my pick. Maybe, yeah, maybe but, mine too. Yeah. Let's backtrack that. We're holding it up as a beacon of a not terrible movie in the exactly. world. Exactly. One that I feel like you might want to check out. Exactly. So what's your pick for this award? Sure. My pick is a film that came out. It's hard to believe it came out this year. It feels like a long time ago. It kind of came and went very quickly. You didn't hear anyone talking about it. It was entitled Wanderlust. This was the new film from David Wayne, a filmmaker who I enjoy, who went on from the state. He was a member of the state and went on to make Wet Hot American Summer. 
and uh, several other films. I felt like this film kind of got the exact same reception as Wet Hot American Summer, a film that was basically forgotten, discarded, ignored, and then became, as time went on, a, a kind of a cult hit. And I really hope the same thing happens with this film because I felt about this film – how I felt about What Hot American Summer. Maybe it's not as good. It's, it's definitely not as good it's as definitely not as good. It's not as good as American Summer. But it is. It's a. It's a fun film. I really enjoyed it. It has all these wonderful characters. A lot of them. A lot of the alumni from the state came back for it. It was written by Ken Marino, another state alumni, with David Wayne, and it was about this couple played by Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston, who sort of. It's almost like Green Acres, you know, like give up their their city life. They realize they're living in a tiny apartment and they're struggling, and it's just not for them. They decide they've had enough of new york city and they just decide they're gonna pack up and start a new life somewhere and they wind up at this like hippie commune just accidentally temporarily for a night but they like it so much they decide to stay and uh, again okay it's not as good as what american summer but there were some wonderful performances in this movie including aniston and rudd who i thought were great as the main couple and particularly justin thoreau who gave a very memorable performance as one of like one of the sleaziest guys at the hippie commune who's like the free love thing. He's, he's doing it just a little too hard where it's coming on a little too strong. And, uh, Malin Ackerman had a great little part as a, as another very, um, uh, they're all hippies. Malin Ackerman, Joe Latrulio, Catherine Hahn, Kerry Kenny, a fabulous uh, supporting cast. I'm reading this list going, why didn't I think of this movie for like the best ensemble of the year as I was filling out those awards. Yeah, okay, yes, it's not going to change. It's not a beacon of light and truth, whatever that nonsense I said before. Forget that. But it's a really fun movie. I think if you watch it at home, you're going to laugh. Sadly, for some reason, it's not yet available on VOD, on streaming. I'm not sure what's taking so long. It came out so long ago. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray, and that's a fine way to see it. So that's Wanderlust. Okay. My pick for the They Didn't Get It Award. Okay. My pick is a film that uh, it kind of came and went. I think that people expected it to get a slightly better return at the box office than it ended up uh, getting, but it is Sparkle, which is a remake of the 1976 film about three sisters living in Harlem, who uh, form a girl group in the 1950s. The remake takes place in Detroit, and it's during the Motown era in the 1960s, uh, starring Jordan Sparks of American Idol, uh, the late Whitney Houston, in a role that very much overshadows the film, like, you know, now. Uh, directed by Salim Akil. I actually, I was very pleasantly surprised by this film. Uh, I think that it uh, features a really surprisingly great standout performance from Carmen Ojogo, who yes. plays mm -hmm. the eldest sister, uh, who's the, like, the most talented one. And uh, She's almost so good, and I, this is a good pick for this. I actually could have given this, this award, that I could have picked this movie too. She's almost so good, though, she, it almost ruins the movie because the movie's storyline requires Jordan Sparks' character to be like the neglected, brilliant genius where you're like she's, – she's her flashy sister, Carmen Najogo, is stealing the spotlight. But you don't feel that way because Carmen Najogo is so magnetic, such yeah. a magnificent supporting performance that you just wanted to keep watching her. Yeah, there's the first scene I think where she like walks. They they sing together. Oh yeah, and they like she walks on in like slow motion, and I think it's like out of focus, and it focuses on her, and you just tell that like they know that they have a, like, star, a star is born. Yeah, yeah. Please welcome sister and her sisters. Where in the world did you get those church dresses? <laughs> get this man a drink. He's gonna need one.
And so it's a terrific turn by her. I do think that the film kind of accommodates that a bit by allowing her to turn around on Jordan Sparks' character and be like, you're using me as mm-hmm. much as I'm, you know, because she's a songwriter. Jordan mm-hmm. Sparks is the one who's an aspiring songwriter. But I think it actually also, it it brings in a lot of kind of themes of African-American womanhood really and these ideas of what it means to be kind of like to grow up to be like a good girl basically Mm -hmm. you know Whitney Houston's character is now like this very strict church lady but you learn that she came from a past where she like tried to make a career singing and like there's no father in the picture for any of these girls uh you know she's trying to make up for a past that she now regrets by being extremely strict with her daughters uh, to the point where she might be kind of limiting some of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, the film brings in like a really nice idea of the fact that they're still working out what it means, like what kind of to aspire to in terms of like success even. And one of the characters even goes on to it goes on to uh, med- medical school. And uh, that's a whole theme kind of tying into, you know, like a uh, empowerment movement. Uh, I, I think that, there's more to this film than just being a vehicle for an American Idol contestant. Yes. And I, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, oh, this is Dreamgirls again. I just saw Dreamgirls a few years ago. I don't need to see it again. And I think the fact that, you know, Whitney Houston's death certainly did cast a sort of a shadow of, over the film. And Yeah. And, and she it, does not look good i mean she she looks okay she yeah. sounds kind of she sounds sad. she just looks i mean there's one part where i a character is like you look tired yeah. and she does she does look yeah. tired she gets one standout singing moment that is very impressive but it's and also not... and also sort of fits within the, the theme of of the movie and also with her, the end of her life which is really sad too it's hard not to think about what happened to her which yeah. maybe people didn't you know maybe people didn't want to be reminded yeah yet. i don't know but it is also i mean even in that it is incredibly bittersweet given mm. the character and it mm. doesn't necessarily it doesn't detract from it i think as a as a final role it's incredibly sad as as it was that she's you know it's gone so young it does i think like uh bring out like it, the, her presence in that role brings out like a really interesting angle to the film yes i agree i think that was a great pick Sparkle. People should check it out. Yep, Where can they see it? Uh, they can see it on. It's available for rent right now on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, YouTube, and Blockbuster. Okay. Before we move on to the next awards, let me just say very briefly because I suspect people will wonder why we didn't say it at all. For one of these two awards, it, it's funny how it could go either way depending on your opinion. Cloud Atlas. Yeah. Was it the they didn't get it award or was it the we didn't get it award, Allison? What do you think? I had it under it clearly one of the most divisive movies of the year. <laughs> yes. I had it under unfairly maligned. Yes, we both did. Yes. We wanted to say that. Yes. Okay. Poor Cloud Atlas. Poor Cloud Atlas. You certainly because it certainly would have fit either category depending <laughs> yes. on how you felt. So yes. So we were on the side of Cloud Atlas. They didn't get it. Runner up. It's getting it's getting jilted yet again. It's not even getting that they didn't get an award. Poor Cloud Atlas. All right, let's move on to the next Sfuvi Award, which is for Best Fight Scene. A lot of competition this year. My winner of the – and really for me, even though there was a lot of competition, this is like a no contest for me. The Best Fight Scene of the Year belongs to The Kitchen Fight from Sleepless Night, a fabulous French crime thriller about a man who is trapped in this uh, nightclub where he's being pursued by the cops and a bunch of criminals. And he has to try to avoid all of them, trying to stay alive, trying to recover his son who's been kidnapped – and in the midst of all this, he winds up getting into a fight in a kitchen with one of the cops. Uh, I won't explain any of the reasons why or what happens, but the two of them, 
get into this really intense struggle. It's not a Jackie Chan kind of choreographed, balladic, beautiful exercise in physical beauty. It is two dudes who hate each other, who are just trying to tear each other apart, and just grappling and fighting, and, and just the intensity, the sweatiness of it is amazing. And they make excellent use of the kitchen. The people in the kitchen, the, the other people who are there watching this happen with these kind of shocked looks on their faces, and also all the things around them they can use. Pots, pans, fryers, even drawers. Opening drawers at one point becomes a like kind of a recurring motif, which is really exciting. Just oh, so good. I love Sleepless Night. I think I talked about it on the podcast a few months ago. Really one of my favorites of the year. Didn't make my top ten list, but it certainly would be an honorable mention for me. Just a beloved, wonderful crime thriller. If you never saw it, it is available now on Amazon Prime for free if you're an Amazon Prime member. You can also rent it on Amazon or iTunes. I don't know what else needs to be said. It's just awesome. I love that movie and a great fight. I just I, If you've anyone seen Sleepless Night, it's like shorthand, the kitchen fight, the kitchen scene. Everyone knows what you're talking about because it's just that good. If you're an action movie fan and you haven't seen Sleepless Night yet, you have to watch it. Okay. Well, my pick is from a maybe a little better known film, I think. Uh, Rich slightly eh, larger. Probably a couple. I think it may be a couple of maybe audiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is Skyfall. And it is, I picked the fight on top of the skyscraper in Shanghai towards the beginning of the film. You know, I think one of the things that was so great about Skyfall uh, is that it's not just a, a very good refresh of the Bond character again. Uh, you know, having gone, he goes from being a young agent to being a slightly, perhaps like a uh, past his prime agent from like in the, like three movies that Daniel Craig has done mm-hmm. so far, yep. which I think is like a much better angle for him, really, than being like re- rebooting him was nice, but he may be a little better as the slightly aging agent. Mm-hmm. Um but then it's just also very well made. You know, it's shot by Roger Deakins. It's a beautiful movie. One of the best looking movies it's of the year. Gorgeous. For sure. Yeah. And I think that this scene shows that off really well. You know, it's um, when Bond has gone to track the, the mercenary Patrice who stole that hard drive containing uh, all the names of undercover who agents. Who cares? Because of he course, stole the MacGuffin. I know. You know, like, obviously, we always keep lists of all of the undercover agents <laughs> somewhere, just like on a thumb drive to be stolen. But um, where else are you so going to put it, Alison? Come on. Yeah, those lists that go missing so often so yeah. he goes to track down the guy in shanghai he's been told he's going to be up at this place and the guy has gone to assassinate someone and then they have a fight in this like darkened like empty office space that's all like glass panels well, it's like unfinished yeah isn't it? and they're fighting between like all of these partitions and then i think the kind of most beautifully is that you have there, there's like an ad being broadcast on the skyscraper. Like, I, there, it's either like it's a on digital the surface, moving billboard, yeah, yeah, on the surface, or like there's a billboard there, and there's like a, it's like a jellyfish. I think mm-hmm. you see moving across. So while you have this like very violent fight going on, uh, you have this gorgeous imagery going on in the background. It is almost like a sci-fi movie, you yeah. know, that it, there, it's very reminiscent of like imagery that you've seen in Blade Runner and like uh, all these other scenes of the future um Mm -hmm. except it's not it's present day shanghai yeah but it's a really like gorgeous scene and i think that you know you don't see that kind of care 
visual care necessarily being put into these Bond movies. So it really gave or, it a, a sense of poetry. Like or into a lot movies. of action. Well, yeah. action movies, I was going to say. And you're right. It is a beautiful scene. It's also, you know, it's uh, for me, what I appreciated about that scene was as a guy who loves Bond movies in general, but hated Quantum of Solace, which was so choppy and cutty and trying yeah. to be a Bourne movie. There's a particular part of that where they're actually fighting, which is all one long take. Yeah. And even though it's in shadow and you can't quite see everything, the fact that it is two men sort of fighting without any cuts, I really appreciate it. And yeah. it like kind of flows right into the next sequences, which is sort of like a hanging off the edge of the building sort of thing. Right. So that whole part, I really appreciate it as a guy. Was, to me, that almost felt like an apology for the way that Quantum of Solace was shot. Yeah. And then it ends with a kind of great moment in which he looks across at the building uh, at the Bond girl, of what like the movie's like main Bond girl, who is... It, like standing in the skyscraper across the way and she's looking at him mm-hmm. and it's like another kind of nice bit of visual poetry that uh really i think set the film apart from a lot of the recent action movies for me it's a very great. worthy spoovy winner absolutely thank you all right so what is our next uh a next spoovy award category uh, this was a late addition to the yes spoovies. this is a new a brand new spoovy yes uh but i you know i was looking through the year in films yes. and i thought there i sensed a trend here and enough that there was a yes. competition really yeah there was a lot of best fight scene competition there was even more competition for this category which is allison best supporting crazy eyes oh so many supporting crazy eyes yes a year. lot of wild-eyed uh villains flop sweated yes evil super evil maniacal veins bulging yes (laughs) all right well amongst all of this competition including a character from skyfall javier bardem certainly could have a very strong contender i know a lot of sfuvi prognosticators were predicting that he was going to walk away with the sfuvi but he didn't did he he did not and you know i also want to give a shout out to uh joseph gilgan who is the evil scottish guy with the the mohawk type thing in lockout space jail space jail very impressive uh fantastic supporting crazy eyes in that film as well from him yes yes but But he uh, didn't win either he did that's how that's how good this competition is this year it was tough it was very tough so who who won well i went with alex cross not really a beautiful movie on the level of skyfall no nor a coherent one no um but i you i have to give a shout out to matthew fox Mm. who gives a performance like nothing else really this year uh as an impossibly competent (laughs) mercenary killer was he picasso was that his name but he never really has a name i think they call him credited yes but he you know he really does everything Mm -hmm. he uh he can kickbox yes he can seduce women with his kickboxing skills correct he swims inside the pipes of a building yes he's a scuba diver trained scuba diver really uh it's amazing what he he can do he's a marksman and then also, he has some kind of like uh, PTSD or some kind of damage in yes. which he's just basically like twitching all the time. Yeah, and sweaty, eyes, very sweaty, very, very sweaty, uh, has basically no body fat and his <laughs> eyes are like open so you can see the whites all the way around them all the time. Being disrespectful, very disrespectful. And I don't like that, not, not at all. I'm a professional. What do you call a little run-in last night, huh? Dr. Cross, you're taking this personally. Yeah, about as personal as you took running out of that building with your tail tucked between your legs. That job I can finish on another day. But failure has to be difficult for a guy like you. So how did you punish yourself? Was it wire under your fingernails? 
textbook psychology Dr. Cross seriously textbook by the way your wife looks stunning I wouldn't call it a good performance of Matthew Fox, but it is a very impressively dedicated one. It is outstanding. Uh, and it's particularly funny in contrast to Tyler Perry, who, you know, plays things very, like, maybe way too... Very too underplayed. Underplayed, yes. Uh, and then you have this, like, crazy contrast. Uh, it's pretty amazing. That, I mean, that really was an amazing Crazy Eyes performance. It was. It was yeah. really just incredible, incredible. It's hard. I mean, I kind of want to... I. I, I even though I'm giving it some to someone else, I agree with you. I think that was the clear winner this year. But we, I have to pick somebody else, right? I mean, that's that's the whole. Otherwise, what Them's are the spoovies? The rules. Them's the yeah. rules of the spoovies that we just invented 20 minutes before we started recording. <laughs> so there was another very worthy nominee this year, and that was Michael Sheen from Twilight: Breaking Dawn. What is it? The Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part <laughs> Two: Colon The Underworld colon. Edition. Yeah. Whatever it was called, it was this year's Twilight movie, and it was Michael Sheen giving. Uh, just incredibly over the top performance. It was like, like it wasn't even ham. It was like pork belly. <laughs> it was like the most succulent, fatty pork belly of acting. Everyone else in this movie is taking. I mean, well, that's not true. But a lot of the people in these in the, these Twilight movies take it very seriously. Very seriously. And certainly the people in the audience take it very seriously. Michael Sheen knows that there is nothing about this that should be taken seriously, and he is enjoying every second that he gets to play this out outrageously evil ancient vampire and he isn't in a ton of the movie this is supporting crazy eyes after all but uh i know the no i I really didn't find too many reviews that did not mention his performance and particularly towards the end of the film you know exactly what i'm gonna say I, i know what's coming you know what's coming so at the end of the film, there is, of course, this big climactic showdown between the heroes and the villains for whatever. I don't. Do I have to explain it? No. Good. That was the correct answer. I don't have to explain it. And he is angry, and, and, and there's sort of these little scuffles that are starting the, between the good guys and the bad guys and sort of some violence. And he gives out this giggle, this, like, insane giggle. <laughs> And I might be underselling it there. I think you can find someone has looped the audio online. Oh, I'm sure there's a GIF of it. There's probably a YouTube clip of him doing it over and over. It was a transcendent moment of great bad acting. It really was. I remember I read an interview with the uh, director of the film, Bill Condon, who they asked about that scene in particular and and said, like, did you like and it was clearly a question of like, how did you let him give you that big? Like, it's way over the top. How did you let him do that? He's like, that was that was him at like a five. I have takes that I didn't use of him at a ten. Extras, DVD you must. Extras. The public must see this footage for I, the good of humanity. Release the footage of Michael Sheen at a ten. That's what I say. <laughs> that will go in the best supporting Crazy Eyes Hall of Fame, not just this year but all years. So, Michael Sheen, I salute you. I don't know if I would recommend Twilight Breaking Dawn: Colon Part Two: Colon The Final Installment: Colon The Trilogy Ends: Colon With Part Five. But if you're going to see it, he's the part you're going to enjoy the most. That's for sure. Allison, we are pleased once again to be sponsored this week by MoviePass, the new subscription service in which you pay a monthly fee. And you get to see a movie per day at most major movie theaters. You check in using an app on your smartphone and you use a membership card to buy the tickets. And it works for any new release as long as it's not a 3D movie or IMAX. Uh, Those films are not yet covered under MoviePass. 
So if you're a frequent moviegoer or if you know a frequent moviegoer, MoviePass is a service that could turn out to be a really good deal for you. You know, you can do the math. Certainly by New York ticket prices, it yeah. works out pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, you know, rather than paying per ticket, you pay a flat fee for the month and that gets you entry to one film per day, though it should be noted that uh, it has to be a different film each time. You can't just go see the same film every day. Right, right. MoviePass is currently invite only, but... Uh, they're offering a limited number of subscriptions to Film Spotting and Film Spotting SVU listeners, and they have 30-day, 90-day, or year-long gift packages available. So check out moviepass.com/filmspotting for more info and to get $10 off your second month of your subscription. Okay, so our next smoothie category is Best On-Screen Chemistry. Kind of a challenging one this year. Yeah. I don't know. This was not a great year in kind of like naturally at least certainly on the romantic side there weren't necessarily like crackling uh connections between uh people that came to mind no they didn't leap off the screen you had to kind of go to like alternate chemistries buddy chemistry or hero and villain chemistry or stuff like that which is what you picked right what is your pick for this category my pick for this category is a film that i enjoyed i mentioned it it's one of my favorite films of the year actually it is the chemistry between buddies frank and Casper, played by Frank Vam and Casper Christensen in the Danish film Clown, which is available for rental on iTunes and YouTube currently. And these guys, they're comedians. Uh, you know, they're well known in Europe. They're, you know, we're, we're just discovering them now. But these guys have actually done a TV show as these characters. It's kind of like a, almost like a Curb Your Enthusiasm sort of thing. Like they play themselves. They play comedians who get into these very awkward situations. So obviously these guys have been working together for a long time. And that shows they have this amazing comedic chemistry and beautiful timing. And it has that wonderful sort of – like Curb, it has that wonderful kind of – spontaneous improvisatory feel where they're just very comfortable they're com- they have their simpatico they just have the right they're on the same wavelengths pretty much how we are as podcasters Allison <laughs> you know they are like i would say they are the they're like the film spotting svu of danish comedians yeah we have yet to have a heart of darkness style journey by canoe that's true that's uh, maybe, true maybe maybe in the summer maybe this summer we haven't yeah it's true that is and that is what clown is about we haven't liked the characters in clown we haven't traveled together to a brothel that's true. We haven't done that, that we either. Know of. That we remember. Yes. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, no, they, these guys are fantastic. I thought this movie was this is my favorite comedy of the year. Not a great year for comedies either. There were some good ones. Yeah, but... Um, but not a lot of great ones. This one to me, I've seen this movie a bunch of times now. I got to host a Q&A with these guys at a screening. They were great to interview. They were great to talk to. Uh, I love the movie. I loved it when I saw it the first time last year at Fantastic Fest, and I've just every time I watch it, I love it more and more. I'm gonna—I don't own it yet, but I will own it soon, and I'll just keep watching it over and over. Very rewatchable movie. We don't—we're not doing a spoofy for like the most rewatchable movie of the year, but this might get my vote for that as well. If you haven't seen it yet, I know we've talked about it on the show before. Again, very strongly recommended. Clown. It's available for rental on iTunes and YouTube. So I did want to find a romantic pairing to call out for this category. So I I went with uh, a film that I actually really enjoyed, though it's not particularly uh, universally loved. And it's certainly a messy film. Like, I don't think it's perfect by any means. But that film is Lawless, uh, directed by John Hillcoat, which is available for rent on Amazon, Vudu, iTunes, and YouTube. And incidentally, it probably has like a a decent candidate for Best Supporting Crazy Eyes in Guy (laughs) Pearce. Which I can't believe we forgot to mention. He, he was pretty crazy eyes he's, in that he's movie. He's pretty crazy eyes, yeah. But the the characters in question with their chemistry are 
Tom Hardy and Jessica Chastain. And what I liked about this is that, you know, this is a film about like incredibly tough bootlegging brothers uh, from Franklin County, Virginia in the 30s. And uh, the toughest of them all is Tom Hardy's character, Forrest Bondurant, who is like potentially immortal, <laughs> at least for a lot of the course of the film. Uh, and it's, you know, Tom Hardy's other incomprehensible muttering uh, role of the year. But he's pretty interesting and like certainly convincingly like imposing, even in a cardigan, which he manages to make look extremely tough. Don't roll your eyes. Yes, yeah, so if this was best supporting cardigan, I could definitely he get behind Tom feel, Hardy yeah. in Lawless. But I actually I liked that his kind of odd combination of like grandfatherly qualities in the ways he uh talks and in the way he dress way he dresses combined with his complete hard assery in terms of how scary he can be uh and jessica chastain plays this woman from the city who has maybe a not so savory past and she comes to work for the bondurant brothers and their flirtation is actually really nice in that he for as tough as he is is like both courtly with her and incredibly awkward like he has no idea how to act on uh you know romancing her in any way and she essentially has to come to him but uh, i think they have like a really kind of nice unspoken build to their relationship they say in town you're looking for someone to help out around the place <clears throat> is that position still vacant forgive me for asking but um what's a lady like you here. City can grind a girl down. Gets to a point where you start looking for somewhere quiet. And I think uh, that actually played out really well in a film that is otherwise, uh, I think, not, it does not put a premium on romance per se. And the, the main romance that it showcases is, is one that between Shia LaBeouf that you don't really want to pay attention to. I thought that this side connection was really well done and kind of, uh, unusual like it was not your typical depiction of romance so that is lawless and it's available for rent on most outlets and take it you're not a fan of this i one. was not a fan we haven't had a lot of disagreement on, yeah. on on the spoovies what are the bylaws about the spoovies say if i hate a movie that you give one to can i like retroactively take it back how does that work of course not oh because i did not enjoy lawless not certainly not the worst movie i saw there but it might be on like the l lower part of a list of the best of the least wow i yeah. really hated lawless that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think other than the fact that it chooses to focus on Shia LaBeouf, which is a problem. Is that's like, a big problem. It's a major problem. But I liked all of the kind of other side characters. I mean, lot. there were some nice side characters in it, you know, like Guy Pierce giving a, yet another memorable performance. And yes, he has very intense supporting crazy eyes. I just felt like it was just like wandering around like for no reason. Like I, I really didn't ever understand why. And it is about these bootlegging brothers and Guy Pierce is this lawman who's trying to stop them. I didn't understand why he didn't just go and stop them in the first place. Isn't there's like hour, like an hour and a half of the movie goes by out of them. Just go kill them, but go kill them want and to kill them, kill wants, them and take the money. They wants to get paid every time. He wants to share. Never mind. Anyway, we're Tom arguing. Hardy. We're arguing over plot details of a movie we saw months ago. Let's Look, move if on. you're going to see one movie this year with Jessica Chastain and Jason Clark, it should be Zero Dark Thirty. Fair, 
I will give you that. All right. Well, what is our next Svuvi, Allison? Our next Svuvi is best use of song. Mm. And, you know, I, sometimes a movie just uses a song choice really well. And Absolutely. It's, and it's moving. Um, so what's your pick for this one? I, I know we did a little research. We had to, to do we sure did a little we research. Yeah, we, the song. Yeah, we, we did. Well, I, I think I picked ended up deciding to pick a different one. Okay. But uh, the more it was, it was funny because I didn't want to pick the cliched choice. And then I was looking at the clips on online on movieclips.com and i was like oh actually this is the much better scene <laughs> and it is uh it, it's the remix of it's raining men used to great effect comedic sexual dramatic in magic mike which is available for rental on amazon itunes google play youtube and voodoo and what we were referring to there in our uh, setup was the fact that there were quite a few songs used in magic mike there's a lot of stripping scenes in the movie uh one that we were also debating was it was the use of genuine's pony is one of channing tatum's uh fine uh, stripper scenes but there's a lot uh, there's a lot of good use of music i mean the stripping scenes in this movie even if like me you're not necessarily enjoying the sexual side of these scenes. the man flesh the, the man flesh i have no i'm not en- not necessarily enjoying it but i have no problem with it i i just those they're great scenes they're brilliantly shot they're brilliantly choreographed often by the cast members themselves if i understand correctly Channing tatum had a background in male stripping so he brought a certain level of authenticity to the scene certainly well edited by uh, uh soderbergh well shot by soderbergh himself uh as i recall there was a lot of scenes where the the, the love interest for uh, uh channing tatum's character is watching these scenes and we're sort of watching her kind of not necessarily try to react as she's watching him strip i thought that was a really lovely use of editing to watch her reactions as we're watching him dance and also watching the other women in the room scream like banshees uh, with excitement. I liked both of Soderbergh's movies this year. I may be mentioning his other movie later, and as a matter of fact. And Magic Mike was a movie that just missed my uh, my top ten list of the year. And really, what would that movie have been without the use of the music, without the dancing? So much of the movie was about the authenticity and the fascinating world of this strip club, which is sexual, but it's also there's something kind of innocent and sweet about it. Wasn't there, Allison? It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't dirty, you know? It was kind of a... It, it was, was a little dirty, little, but I mean, it was, like, it was about like, like camaraderie and these guys hanging together. But like kind together. of like cutesy dirty, you Yeah, know? there was half like a we're putting on a show aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was kind of cute. It made you enjoy the fact that it was, just, it was raining men. What a wonderful, what a wonderful situation to be raining men. So yeah, that's uh, it's raining men. The remix from Magic Mike available for rental on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Voodoo. Well, my pick is from a film that I mentioned earlier, which is Rust and Bone, Jacques Odiard's film. Can you film. describe it again? I what will. Was it about Actually, again? it ties in really well. Okay, perfect. So during the uh, tragic marine land accident in which a killer whale eats Marianne Cotillard's legs. Yes. I don't know if that's actually what happens because the incidents surrounding 
the how she loses her legs are not made completely clear. But I'm choosing to believe, um, even though it may be un- unfair to orcas, that uh, it involves a whale eating her legs. Mm-hmm. Either way, so it's at the marine park. You know, it's a sea world, basically. There are tons of big crowds. She is a trainer, and she's out with other trainers, and they're playing Katy Perry's Firework, a pretty, you know, standard choice for Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of scenario. Uh, It's playing, like, in the world of the film. It's uh, being broadcast across the speakers, and people are clapping along, and then the accident happens. So then they revisit the song later, after Marianne Cotillard's character has been through, like, a really hard time she uh, is kind of has retreated into uh, just being by herself or like her whole sense of self has been destroyed. Um, and then she has this kind of encounter with the, this boxer, you know, kind of uh, bouncer boxer guy played by. Uh, Did you say he was an underground boxer? He's uh, yes, he works at security. And then his side gig is he bare knuckle boxes. He does bare knuckle boxing in this kind of underground uh, fight. Do you ring. ever see Matthew Fox from Alex Cross in the background somewhere? You do not, nor do you see Brad Damn. Pitt in Fight Club. Damn. Yeah, uh, but Mati- Matthias uh, Schoenertz, if I pronounce Oh, that's good. Right. No, that's good. You got Thank it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, who is uh, also in Bullhead. Bullhead. He's the lead fantastic. fantastic in Bullhead. He's, and he's very good in this, too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, becomes a kind of yeah, they start a romance, but it doesn't start off as a romance. She kind of calls on him. I think it's basically maybe because he's just someone outside her normal circle, circle, someone she met kind of incidentally. And uh, and he kind of really starts by not giving her any kind of the usual, having no interest in giving her the usual sympathy and being kind of a, a guy with no pretense really starts bringing her back to life. And then so there's a scene where she kind of is out on her, her balcony and the music uh, comes on the soundtrack as she starts um, practicing basically the signals that were the ones that she would use with the whales. And it becomes this actually really beautiful, uplifting moment. It is the most lovely use of Katy Perry's firework that I think you will ever find in a movie. Uh, it's very touching. And so uh, it's a really great use of the song and, uh, and a great moment in the film. Rust and Bone is still in theaters, I believe, so you are not able to stream it yet. But I do really recommend it. I think it's it's a pretty nice uh, find that's out there. It's worth a look. All right, Allison, we're down to the final two Sfoovies. The tension is high. The people who've spent millions of dollars campaigning want to know if it was if it if it was all in vain or not. This is what it comes down to: careers are changed, lives are altered. People who listen to podcasts continue to listen to them. Let's begin with the most purely pleasurable movie of 2012. This is this is a movie that needs no defense other than the fact that we found it wonderful. It didn't have to be artistic, or smart, clever. It might have been those things, but it doesn't matter. What was the most purely pleasurable movie of 2012? As much as I had felt like I should have gone with Lockout yes. or Space Jail, right. as we have made it known. Yes. Uh, I felt like my really the most purely pleasurable experience I had in the theaters this year was at Cabin in the Woods. Uh, you know, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon's film. It's kind of meta movie about your typical, like almost way too typical slasher film setup and then a potential whole explanation for why those things happen is so clever, so funny, and actually genuinely scary at parts as well. It's, uh, I think it manages to do 
something that's very difficult in films that are self-referential, which is that it is packed with geeky jokes. Like so many, it is like a loving homage to watching way too many horror movies. But at the same time, it also is a standalone movie. You do not need to only be getting in-jokes in order for it to work. It is an entirely entertaining film in its own right, and one that actually is filled with uh, very vivid, distinctive characters, even though the characters who go off to the cabin are meant to fit certain types and are chosen to fit certain types. Mm -hmm. It is about how they don't actually fit in with them. We're going to lock this place down. He's right. We'll go room by room, barricade every window and door. We've got to play it safe. No matter what happens, we have to stay together. This isn't right. What? What's the matter? This isn't right. We should split up. We can cover more ground that way. Yeah. Yeah, good idea. Really? So it manages to be both a, like an extremely clever take on your typical attractive people go off to the woods and get killed and you're always like why did you not run away or call for help and then also a, a pretty good office satire if an unconventional office mm. um so I, just is such a funny movie i mean i'm sure that you've if you are at all interested in the work of joss whedon you have seen this many times already but uh if this looked like a a kind of just a meta in-joke exercise. I assure you it's much more fun than that. It, it manages to be an experience unto itself. And that is available for rent now on Amazon, Vudu, iTunes, Blockbuster, and YouTube. It's a fine choice. I could have picked it myself. A fine film. One of my favorite movies of the year. And, and for me, I don't know if there was any moment in any other movie more pleasurable than the moment... I won't spoil the details, but the moment in the movie, Elson, with the unicorn, that that is pure pleasure. I prefer the merman. The merman? Yeah. Well, to each his own. Yeah. yeah you okay. say merman, I say unicorn. Let's, I think that's how that old song goes. We'll just have to agree to disagree. Let's move on to my spoofy for the most purely pleasurable movie of 2012. I was just talking about Steven Soderbergh. I mentioned I might bring up his other movie from this year. And here's where I'm going to do it. My favorite, most purely pleasurable movie of 2012 was Haywire, which I enjoyed the first time I saw it in the theater in January. And now that it is available on Netflix Instant, I rewatched it, and I liked it even more. I had even more fun with it. I thought the action was great. This uh, this character who is sold out by all the men in her life, Gina Carano, this real-life mixed martial artist. Except her daddy. Except her daddy. That's true. Her dad sticks by her side, who's played by Bill Paxton. But all the other men in her life sell her out and at various points in, her, in the movie try to beat the crap out of her. But she is way too tough for them, and she beats the crap out of them instead, which is a glorious reversal. And uh, it, I don't know that it necessarily aspires to the level of greatness or artistry that other Steven Soderbergh's movies do. Um, but once in a while, he kind of produces these sort of like exercises in fun and style. And when he does, he to me, he just does them better than just about anybody else. Rodrigo, Jay Paso, what are you working so late for? It's what, past eight, your time? Yeah, but listen, When she called you at home? Yes. Was that a nice conversation? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, very nice. Brief, but uh, very nice. Yeah. She thanked me for my assistance. She's still in Dublin? Well, she said she just landed in New York. I wouldn't go outside till I call you back or your family. I see. All right. Thank you. Rodrigo, you take care, all right? And actually, it was a fun movie to rewatch, too, to me, because it came when I rewatched it, when it came on to Netflix, it was right around the time, you know, and I don't want to get political here, but it was right around the time when, like, all the election stuff was about binders full of women and and Mitt Romney and all these sorts of things where it suddenly felt like this was a movie about this moment where men were legislating women's bodies and what they were allowed to do or not do. It felt to me like all of a sudden this perfect metaphor for that where this woman is in this bureaucracy controlled by all these slimy, sleazy men. You know, guys like Michael Douglas and Antonio Banderas giving an amazing beard performance, yes. not supporting crazy eyes, no. best supporting crazy beard. And, uh, you know, stroking his beard and talking about the horrible things he wants to do to Gina Carano. Oh, God, it was fabulous. It was really wonderful. And then you just add on the fact that, you know, she can do all these stunts herself because she's an amazing martial artist. And she's just kicking the crap out of these guys, including Channing Tatum, including Ewan McGregor giving a great, like, sleazy performance. Really wonderful. Just a wonderfully pleasurable movie. Also, maybe the best last line of a movie this year, or maybe the best last scene of a movie this year, the ending of this movie. Just wonderful, just delightful. The cut the cut to black in that movie, just outstanding. So that's Haywire. It is available now on Netflix. Watch instantly. And Allison. Yes. What is our next and final spoovie? Our final spoovie is one in which we look ahead. Yes. With no real basis no, for these decisions. No, why would we? And it is... The best movie of 2013. That's right. It's our prediction. Uh, and you have, we have some histor- historical yes. background here that yes, we, we, we should explain. Yes, we've done this. When we did the podcast, the old podcast, and we used to do this, these sorts of awards, every year we would give out our award for the best movie of the next year based entirely on trailers or advertising or who's in it or what it's. Or uh, who made it, yes. Yes. And the rule was you weren't allowed to pick anything that had played at a festival in advance. So if it's played, let's say, at Toronto, but it's getting a release next year, that was not allowed. And if it was playing at a festival like Sundance, so it's already been announced. So, for example, a very conservative choice would have been the new film from Shane Carruth, the director of Primer. His new film, Upstream Color, premieres at Sundance. But what's the fun at picking a movie that we know is playing at Sundance and it's probably going to be pretty good? There's no challenge in that. So we pick something that we have even less knowledge about. And we should note, <laughs> because it's no fun if you don't hold yourself to what you pick. The last time we did this, Allison, yes. was back in 2010. We picked the best films of 2011. Would you like to know what you predicted would be the best I films of 2011? I would love to know. You predicted The Tree of Life, a okay. fine choice. Was it on your top 10 list eventually? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it made it's such an impression. Too long ago. Well, I mean, you liked the movie, though. I did like it, yes. We need to talk about Kevin. Did you like that I film? I did like that film. Lynn I don't think Ramsey? It made it, yeah, I don't think it made Told it out my top 10, but okay. I did like it. And finally, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Those are actually not bad picks, but they're pretty conservative, I have to say. Like, I feel like I was picking things that were, like, keeping it safe. I only really liked – I liked We Need to Talk About Kevin. I only really liked one of your three films. Yeah. But you were, these were your predictions. Yeah, so and I actually – I was fond of all of them. I, on the other hand, I made some bold choices. All right, let's hear this. Your Highness, 
clearly one of the best films of 2011. <laughs> clearly. Uh, the Muppets. Really, one of the best films of the last decade, I thought, when it finally came out. Uh, Moneyball, a movie which I actually did not like when it came oh, out, really? even though some people did. And I made one good pick. I picked Hugo, which did make my list of the best films of, of 2011, I believe. So I was one for four. Mm. You were – we're going to give you a two. I'm going to give you a two for three. No, thank you. I don't know which two, but I'm going to give you a two generous. for three. But yeah, you did better you. than I did. Thank you. So that's what it is. You know, you were going to hold ourselves to this. Hopefully in a year's time, hopefully we'll be sitting here giving out the second annual Smoothies and we'll be able to look back at these picks. Allison – Looking ahead. Yes. What are your spoovies for the best movies of 2013, having not seen any of these movies in 2012? Okay. I came up with just two. You have two? Yes. Okay. My main one uh, is one that I've been looking forward to for a long time, okay. despite like certain turnover in the cast. It is Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity, which is due to come out on October 18th, 2013. Stars Sandra Bullock and George Clooney as astronauts who uh, they're on a spacewalk debris crashes into their space shuttle i think it's just the two of them tethered together spinning off into space uh and there are i think like two other listed cast members who might be just voices so it's mostly them spinning out into space uh and what could go wrong what could go wrong it sounds horrifyingly claustrophobic to me but also giant because it's in space uh so there's a lot of really promising things quaron is a fantastic director uh and you know i'm i've heard things about like the the first shot supposed to be like minutes and minutes long so i'm very intrigued by this one I hope it's uh, as good as I want it to be. Okay. My, and what's um, your other yeah, nominee? My other nominee is uh, Wong Kar Wai's The Grandmasters. Easy, I know. Come on. Yeah, that's, know. that's almost cheating. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have seen the Chinese trailer for this, and it looks pretty sweet. It does uh, look pretty awesome. Yeah, Tony Liang, Zhang Ziyi. It's, uh, it, it's the story of Ip Man, but it's also, you know... A one car Y movie, so it's like incredibly lush looking. It's, it's like gonna be amazing. It looks awesome. It does look so, really uh, awesome. Yeah, that's a Grandmasters. I don't think there's a U.S. date attached to it yet, but uh, it'll supposed come here. to be premiering. I'm sure I'm, it's, it's supposed to be at least premiering at festivals. Yeah, this year. So. Um, you know, it'll make it its way around. Fingers crossed we'll see it sooner rather than later. Well, I think you're going to win out on this one, particularly because that would have been probably my number one. And just for the sake of fun, we're going to pick some different movies. Let's start with the most bold choice on my All list, right. shall we? Oh, I can't wait. I, I am predicting that one of the best movies of 2013 will be Pain and Gain. Wow. The new film from Michael Bay. Purely on the basis that it stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Mark Wahlberg as a couple of Florida steroid-abusing knucklehead bodybuilders who become criminals involved in an extortion ring and a kidnapping plot that goes horribly awry. What's going on, Dio? Hey, we just get tired of being where you are, Adrian? No. I kind of like it here. I mean, the weights are new to I mean, in life, man. When's the last time you paid your rent when it was due? I got a plan to change that. Where'd you do your time, pal? Up north. How you fixed for a job now? just can't kidnap a guy and take his things. That's so illegal. I'm sure we can. Victor Kershaw is a criminal prick who deserves bad stuff to happen to him. We go through with this. Nobody gets hurt, right? <laughs> oh, man. We snatch him. There he is! We grab him. Signs a few signatures. We give him a protein shake. He doesn't even know what happened. I watched a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. Allison, I don't know how this movie isn't the greatest film of all time. <laughs> Even though it's directed by Michael Bay, who has not made some of my favorite films of all time, lest we make that unclear. Nevertheless, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, 
Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Mackie, <laughs> Rebel Wilson, Ed, Har- wow. Ed Harris, Tony Shalhoub, Ken Jeong, Rob Corddry. <laughs> How with that cast could it miss? How? Tell me, Allison. How? Michael Bay and his, his way with comedy, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's got a very light touch. <laughs> Well, that is a bold choice. It's Matt. a bold choice. I really it's admire. An asp- it. You know what it is? It's an aspirational choice. I really hope, and I, we're having a little fun here. But honestly, I would love, actually love nothing more than for Michael Bay to make a really awesome comedy with those guys. I think it, if it if it's good, this movie's going to be fabulous. I really do think that. I think if it's good, it's going to be really good. If it's going to be bad, it's going to be horrible. There's no in the in the middle for pain and gain. But the title is also I, maybe I didn't mention this. The title is pain and gain. And I don't know who they're actually playing, but I'm going to call Dwayne The Rock Johnson Payne, and I'm going to call <laughs> Mark Wahlberg Gain. Is that okay? That's perfectly fine with me. I was hoping that you were con- you'd confirm that those were their names, but I'm glad that we're just going to go with that anyway. Okay. All right. Well, that's a that's a, a you know I was I may be reaching, I may be overreaching. You picked the Wong Kar Wai movie. What am I supposed to pick <laughs> for my other pick? I'll just stick to two since you picked two. I'm going to pick one that I hope is a little bit of a safer pick. A little bit. And that is The World's End, the upcoming film reuniting Edgar Wright, director, with his frequent co-stars and collaborators and co-writers, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Pegg, who is the also the co-writer with uh, Edgar Wright, and Nick Frost, who's the star with Simon Pegg. This is going to be the third part of what is called the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy, along with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. This is the final part of the... The trilogy, it is about a group of friends attempting an epic pub crawl. I think there may actually be some science fiction, end-of-the-world shenanigans involved. I'm trying to avoid spoilers for this movie. I haven't read too much about it, but it does involve Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, which is enough for me already. But it also has Rosamund Pike and Patty Considine and Martin Freeman and Eddie Marzen, so it's got a great cast as well. Maybe not as great as Fan and Game, but it's a good cast. Obviously, these are collaborators who we adore, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, two of my favorites in recent years. To me, this one is is a little bit more of a sure thing than Pain and Gain. I'm hoping at at, at the year's end, the world's end will stand amongst the greatest films of 2013. Okay, in lieu of a a full Behind the Eight Ball segment this week, we're just going to give you a very quick rundown of a few new titles on streaming that you may want to watch while you're enjoying your breaks. And by the way... Happy New Year, Happy Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Everything. Enjoy your holidays. We hope you're having a good time. And if you need a movie to watch, here are a few quick recommendations. All of these are available on Netflix Instant. If they're coming to Netflix Instant, uh, I believe by the time you're listening to this, they will all be available. Or they'll they'll be available within the next day or two. Um, January 1st is the last day that they become available. So... Here we go. Some titles that are available. Sleepwalk With Me, the independent film, which I think we actually talked about as an opening break uh, suggestion, starring and written by comedian Mike Birbiglia about his life and career as a stand-up comedian, a really fun and uh, charming film. Jeff Who Lives at Home, which I really enjoyed. One of my probably honorable mentions of the best of 2012. This is a a really nice movie from the Duplass brothers, Mark and, and Jay. And if you're a movie fan, I expect you'll really enjoy this because uh, Jason Siegel's character, Jeff, who lives at home, he is a, a real bl- fan of the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. And he believes that what Signs teaches us is true, that if you just pay attention to the signs in the world, everything is connected and it will all make sense. And over the course of this very eventful day, Jeff is proven correct in that assumption. Uh, he gets into these crazy adventures involving his brother, played by Ed Helms. And Ed Helms' wife, played by Judy Greer. And it's a really wonderful, sweet, 
heartwarming film that kind of does a lot of the sort of cliched things about this kind of movie, but does them in a really smart way. I rewatched it again just a few weeks ago, and it holds up. It's a really nice film. I really like it. Jeff, who lives at home. Recommended, uh, if you want to hurt yourself, I guess, The Devil Inside, one of the worst <laughs> movies of 2012. Definitely. Uh, Not a good use of found footage in this case. A bad use of found footage, but actually kind of so terrible, it was actually kind of funny, I thought. It was one of the sort of so bad they're good kind of movies. I mean, on a level of kind of dumbness that you don't get to see in mainstream movies uh, very often. That is available starting on December 31st. Also available on December 31st, Red Lights, which was a movie that got sort of mixed reviews. Some people really liked it. Some people said this was good and then it flies wildly off the rails in the second and third acts. I didn't get to see it, but I am kind of curious about it because of the cast. Killian Murphy, Robert De Niro, and Sigourney Weaver, I believe. I was looking forward to this one. Uh, I, uh, I don't know if I, it's going to be that great, but it's available on Netflix, so what do you got to lose? Uh, starting on January 1st, very quickly, some, some classic repertory titles for you. Topsy Turvy, Escape from Alcatraz, and Terminator 2, <laughs> Judgment Day, all available on Netflix instant starting on January 1st. Now, Allison, let's just recap for our listeners the listeners' choice options for next episode. We'll put the Svoovies away. We'll get back to our usual format, and we're going to have three listeners' choice options that you're going to be choosing from. What's the first one, Allison? First one is Dark Horse, the most recent film from Todd Salons of Happiness, Welcome to the Dollhouse. A film about a guy who is not really a boy anymore, but he, like Jeff, lives at home and uh, has never really gotten his life together. And, you know, in typical Todd Salon's fashion, he uh, he doesn't necessarily pull it together by the end of the movie either. Uh, But that is available on Netflix as of January 1st. Okay. And our second choice is a film we're both very much looking forward to. It's called Killer Joe. It's available on iTunes and VOD. Another amazing cast. This is is like a theme here. A lot of amazing casts we're talking about. Matthew McConaughey, Emile Hirsch, Juno Temple, Thomas Hayden Church, Gina Gershon, and on and on and on. It is a film about uh, a young man whose life is put in danger because of a debt who decides to put a hit out on his evil mother in order to collect the insurance. It's directed by William Friedkin, the fabulous director of The Exorcist and French Connection and many other great films, reuniting with the writer of his recent film, Bug, Tracy Letts, based on a play, and Tracy Letts also wrote the screenplay. Uh, So that is Killer Joe, available on iTunes and VOD. Our last pick is a film that I'm sure you're all familiar with. We're looking forward to revisiting it. Uh, It is The Usual Suspects, which will be available on Netflix uh, as of December 31st. It is directed by Brian Singer, you know, who has since gone on to have a really giant, high-profile career in terms of directing big blockbusters. So, uh, you know, this is a film that I think we both enjoyed a lot when it came out in 1995. Uh, Really eager to look back at it and see if it holds up. See if it's still the kind of extremely enjoyable and very impressive film uh, that it was back then. Also, another film with a great cast including Kevin Spacey, Gabriel Byrne, Benicio, Benicio Del, Del Toro, Toro, Kevin Pollack. Yeah, it's uh it's got like a really uh, gr- really solid acting as well uh, and then of course a great twisty plot. Um so that's uh Usual Suspects on Netflix. So which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page. At filmspottingsvu.com, your vote must be received by Monday, January 7th, 
at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, and you will have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on our next episode, which will be on or around Monday, January 14th. Filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss in the episode. The Filmspotting SVU remixed theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review that you pick. In the meantime, you can follow me and Matt on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at at film spotting at, SVU. At, at, at like the star wars thing at at the at, at no okay just keep going that's yeah, fine just keep that's going that's good um that's where we'll announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we'll share more streaming suggestions from svu listeners for film spotting svu i'm allison wilmore and i'm matt singer thanks for listening and have a happy new year everybody 